0: Hello, New Haven, and welcome back to Arts Respond on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. I'm your host, Lucy Gelman, and today I am so excited to be joined by the one and only Maestro Jim Sinclair of Orchestra New England. We'll be talking about ONE or Orchestra New England's momentous 50th birthday. That's a big deal. So, sure
1: um, sure. feels so, like it. Thanks. For, it's a pleasure yeah, to be here.
0: Yeah, Maester Sinclair, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for making time. Thank you. So I want to hop right into it. 50 years, as, as I was saying when we were off mic, is nothing to sneeze at. Um, a, a lot of, I think, arts organizations don't make it to five decades. They don't maybe even make it to five years. So so let's talk about how Orchestra New England was born, and and let's start there.
1: Well, fifty years ago, we were all uh, students or mix of students, faculty uh, at Yale School of Music, and some undergraduates. Um, we wanted to hear some of the music that I was discovering in the Ives papers, um, piece short pieces for the most part uh, that I've said. Um, created and just they hadn't been published. No one had heard them. So we thought we'd get together and read them. It was a volunteer thing, a little bit outside of all of the demanding activities of the regular school term. And we were shocked how fascinating and diverse and fun this music was. We then devised the idea that we talked Yale into um, letting the chamber music program that existed uh, combine its various elements into actually an orchestra. And so we created the Yale Theater Orchestra to hear these pieces and do them live. Uh, that concert was in March of 1974, and it was a complete sensation. A full house at Sprague Hall, very excited, and by the end, flipped out audience that uh, couldn't imagine they were hearing the premieres of 14 pieces on that concert. And uh, happened that an uh, alumnus of the Yale School of Music was now the head of CBS Records. And he had heard about this concert through the alumni office and sent up a, um, a young producer and said, well, here's your opportunity. Go out and see if this is any good. And if it is, we want to record it. That producer called his boss, then sauntered on stage after our concert was over and said, CBS would like to record this concert. Of course, CBS is now Sony. But this was a very big deal. It's and huge. Two, two weeks later, we recorded for the major recording label. And uh, all these premieres. Uh, were of interest to the centennial year, 1974, of Charles Ives's birth. Uh, so that recording was able to be released over the summer and be uh, available for sale at the actual October birthday of Charles Ives. Uh, we're going to revisit that concert, which was a sensation in its time, and be able to revisit it at Spring Hall which is uh, on the first day of Yale's break for the spring. So we're able to mount a concert right there where it all first happened.
0: And I'm wondering if you can talk. So some people are going to hear the name Charles Ives and either they won't have familiarity with it or they're going to think, you know, why, why should I care about this person who belongs to the great pantheon of dead white dudes? And I would love for you to talk about what is special and maybe even whimsical or um I don't know if whimsical is, is the word you would use but but you know what sticks out to you about this music because it is very true as you pointed out that when someone hears a piece of music for the first time when you're hearing it with new ears and so you know for you you've heard something with ears many many times at this point um but it it can transform the way, not only that you listen, but that you think about everything around you in, in the best of circumstances. So I'm wondering if you can talk about what, you know, what stands out to you when you think about Ives' music?
1: Well, Ives' music is really very much about us. It's about the holidays, about New England, about Connecticut, about Danbury. It's about the United States, America, which Ives embraced. Uh, And, of course, he saw the whole Victorian era right into modern times. And he loved all of the music and experiences. The, The thing that was particularly rich for him was that his father had been a very young bandmaster in the Civil War. So the Civil War music was over the top for him. In fact, of course, it was the whole country. Civil War produced a great deal of, of uh, dance music and songs. For instance, all the marches that were created during the Civil War were actually two steps. Uh, they were dance moves and uh, associated with the rhythms. And, uh, and so the, it, it was uh, deeply involving for Charles Irons. uh Therefore, his music, which is many times a, a weaving of Americana into uh, other classical forms. Uh, His music uh, has an immediacy, a meaningfulness to us. It brings back uh, another time. You could call it ethnomusicology in a way. He keeps alive the holidays. For instance, there's a holiday symphony that is, for all purposes, also the four seasons. It starts with winter in of Washington's birthday and then springtime of Decoration Day, which is now Memorial Day. Uh, we have the 4th of July and then autumn is Thanksgiving. So those four tone poems that create a four movement symphony are a real encapsulation of Ives's sense of Americana.
0: I love that. I absolutely love that. And I'm also wondering if you can talk about the evolution of Orchestra New England, because I assume that when you had this first concert, the first thought in your mind was not, we'll still be here in five decades.
1: Well, no, (laughs) it was a one-off event. Uh, However, it was March of the centenary year in which October would be the focus. And uh, the people organizing the centenary for Ives uh, immediately, well, because they were at the concert, and they wanted us, first, they just wanted us to repeat the concert again. But we said, we have a lot more stuff that we can work on during the summer and offered up uh, a completely different program that fall with more premieres. And uh, we were really on a roll. (laughs) The players had a tremendous sense of their own success and self-importance, the importance of this Ives' music. They felt they owned it. Uh, it took us a, a half year or so of mingling uh, together and the ideas uh, just stating that there would be, uh, well, to put it this way, our bassist, who was from North Carolina said, um, we well, to keep on playing. So with that idea uh, that we should keep on playing, we posed it to the players and said, look, uh, we don't have support. Uh, We have no board of directors, uh, but if you're willing to volunteer, uh, we'll keep on playing, as uh, as soon as Gary Bennett said. and, and so we scheduled a series of really innovative concerts starting in 1975 uh, and going into 76, which was now a Byzantine year, uh, with some new works, with uh, Stravinsky, with uh, uh, Haydn. Uh, we covered the gamut. And um, works that no one else was playing uh, that needed to be heard. They were important music. So... Um, Everybody enjoyed that. We made a deal that we'd keep on playing, uh, and there was, you know, we we're selling tickets at the door. And we said, we'll just split that up with the players, which we did. Uh to make the recording, we all had to be part of uh of the musicians union. The musicians union had a big fund called a music performance trust fund that came from the sales of records. Uh they had made a deal with the record companies, there'd be a percent kick back to this fund. And that fund was uh, locally handled by our union, and they offered that they would have us play concerts under the fund. So all of a sudden we had our first support was really from the union we had to pay dues to. And that was pretty fantastic. They had lots of money uh, coming into this fund. These were LP sales in those days, and it was huge. Uh, So With their support, we put together a board of directors and started fundraising and uh, making applications to uh, 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 trust funds and things that supported the arts. We made the transition. The players hung in there because of all the excitement that had happened on the first day. So uh, we really owe it to the players being willing to... um, Hang through that transition. I would not want to steer those Straits of Magellan again, but the players made it possible.
0: And has it been a bit of a rotating door as well?
1: Well, we had uh, we've had uh, musicians who've stayed with us since the beginning. Uh, Gary Bennett, whom I mentioned from North Carolina, uh, had been the first bassoonist for forty-nine years. Uh, so uh, we've had some turnover. We had in the history of uh, 50 years, we've had six or five, five or six uh, concert masters, but those were all changing over early. Since the mid 1980s, we've had the same concert master, Rafael Rieger, who is respected by all of our players. An extraordinary uh, violinist, musician, artist. Uh, so. There's a lot of continuity in the group since the 1980s.
0: And I, I'm wondering, you know, for you, what keeps you coming back? Because a lot of a lot of folks also get restless, right?
1: <laughs> well, if I had uh, notions of wanting to leave New Haven and move on and upward and sideways, uh, that would be one thing. But I came here in 1972 to study the music of Charles Ives, all of the music, 8,000 pages, every one of them but one uh, leaf that is in New York City uh, is all here. And I am the editor of the complete works of Charles Ives, and I need to be in New Haven. I never thought about leaving. The orchestra was fun. We've simply enjoyed ourselves together for 50 years. And uh, I've had opportunities to guest conduct and record Tour overseas here, but none of it is going to replace being right here with Orchestra New England.
0: I also love talking about New Haven with New Haveners. Um, so, and I would I would consider anyone who's been here for fifty years, even if it was not your original original home, it's definitely your adopted home. Oh yes, and um, and and so you know, also what you enjoy about New Haven, because I assume that. Even if you had moved here with every good intention of um, collecting and documenting and sharing out the work of Charles Ives, if you had been like, "Man, this place really sucks as a place to live," you you would have gone. And um, I I can't I, imagine
1: coming to that conclusion. I no, I, I the, love
0: New Haven, but I remember but some the some first don't. day
1: that I walked across the New Haven Green uh, in 1972, and it was. When you look back, it was something of a nadir for downtown. But I love the architecture, and I love the openness of the green. I'm from Washington, D.C. I liked it being a smaller town than Washington. It was walkable. It was comprehensible. It was a handsome place and historic place. And I've uh, lived downtown for 50 years.
0: And do you have favorite, you know, places, whether whether they still exist or whether they are now? Because I feel like downtown has changed so much. It really in the last ten years, let alone the last five decades.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, there's remained a lot of great restaurants. Uh, I miss hangouts. I miss uh, the oldest Rudy's. I miss I miss the old Heidelberg, uh, the uh, Elm City Diner. There were just uh, places with tremendous character. Uh, Alas, the buildings of which are still there, but they've all changed character. Uh, I I think the walkability of uh, the downtown and the quality of food that's here, uh, the uh, immediacy of entertainment, be it the Schubert or, alas, the Criterion of Past, or York Square before it in movies, uh, the the, uh, Woolsey Hall, the Sprague Hall, the theater, goodness gracious, drama is so fine in this in this town. Uh, these things uh, are a good reason to stay. I had Charles Ives as my anchor, but I love New Haven.
0: I also want to know, you know, some of your favorite memories with Orchestra in New England. So, one may be best known for its annual Colonial Concert. Correct oh, me yes. if I'm wrong, but. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk about that also, mm. which is kind of fun and different. Um, and then also, you know, some memories that have really stayed with you.
1: Yes, I, uh, the Colonial uh, Concert, uh, they started as a concert of music, concert of music, uh, using the funny uh, symbol for FS, uh, S as an F, <laughs> so we make fun of often, you know, <laughs> spelled that way. Uh, it, um, it, it's a very sincere attempt to have us hear the music of the era of the 1780s, the late colonial era, uh, with, to re experience it, uh, to have new ears, to listen as if it was the first time we've heard this music. Uh, I studied through what music was like then, what music was played, what the manner of concerts was. And uh, of course, we got fantastic costumes and wigs, and we set up candlelight, and we put ourselves in a meeting house on the green, which was, as a meeting house implies, a center for everything, not just Sunday's church, but politics and social life uh, and the arts back then. And so we... created this experience. And it was an immediate hit. Well, more than than a hit, it was a runaway. The the very first concert was done live on public radio and uh, won an award for that coverage. Uh, That caught the ear of a marketing director of the phone company, SNET. Uh, There's a loss to the city. And they decided it would be fantastic as a TV show. So they, <laughs> they asked us if we'd do the whole thing as a uh, for a TV special. And the next year, our second season of the Colony Concert was a TV show, and it became a national play for five years, four years subsequent to that original year. And so that had wheels on it, just like our very first concert and the being swept into a a contract with CBS records. Uh, Amazing. Some of it's serendipity. Uh, There's just, uh, you know, you have to be good in the first place and then find your luck. And we have.
0: And I'm wondering if you can talk about specific, you know, I love a good story. Um, I, I think of my job as principal storyteller and not just like, getting the news out, right? Um, so so tell me a couple of stories that have really stayed with you, memories that have really stayed with you from the past 50 mm-hmm. years of orchestra in New England.
1: Well, goodness, uh, we've played in every state in New England, plus New York, New Jersey, down to Washington, DC. We're very East Coast. Uh, and uh, there are just tons of experiences. Uh, I guess in many ways, the most important things we've done are recordings, and we've done premiere recordings of some extraordinary things. Uh, Broadway musical that uh, Cole Porter had written that uh, had kind of dropped off the radar, radar and it was an incredible experience uh, doing 50 million Frenchmen. It, it, loads of his important hits in it, and yet the show itself, which is about two Yalies, uh abroad, uh, in Paris, uh, trying to have a good time with no money—that was the—that was the, that was the uh, challenge. Is uh, let's see what we can do. Just getting ourselves into everybody else's parties, etc. Uh, so it's very funny <laughs> and very local. Uh, we also recorded Heiter uh Well, let's see, folk opera, I guess you'd call it, but it was a Broadway show. And it was so rich and magnificent, the music, uh, just sweepingly, a uh, mix of Broadway and romanticism. It was, um, on it's on Sony Records. Uh, the other recording I was referring to is on New World Records, these days. Uh, and the Ives recordings that we've done, 1974, 1990. And recently, Naxos Records has us doing a series of uh, recordings. I've done some of them overseas, but in the next, uh, in the last three of the complete series of Ives's uh, orchestral music, are all being done by Orchestra New England with Naxos Records. So those things are probably the most important. Uh, we've also done. Uh, you know, trips to New York and extraordinary things. Uh, I remember playing uh, uh, Stephen Sondheim's 70th birthday. That now that would be 20 years ago. As uh, one does. Yeah we we've just had a great time being invited to do extraordinary things.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. So that also brings me to the fact that there is an upcoming 50th birthday concert um, on so it's march 9th 2024 right
1: that's right you okay sorry
0: so. on the website it says 2023 and it threw me off for a moment this is community radio at its finest um <laughs> there's a, a 50th birthday concert on march 9th at 7 30 p.m at Sprig. so it is exactly <laughs> literally where y'all started
1: that's it we're going right back to our birth spot
0: yes and it will be an all eyes extravaganza which sounds that's right. fun <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, it's during his 150th year. So this is the sesquicentennial, Charles Ives coming up. Uh, and we re- vis- visit our own 50th birthday from Ives's 100th birthday back then. And it's fun music. And uh, it- it's kind of eye-opening, ear-opening to hear all of these things that were premiered 50 years ago, now played by an orchestra that's truly specialized in the stuff and recorded it. Uh, and uh, four days after that concert, we'll be doing a recording of almost everything that's on that concert, plus some things that aren't, uh, that need to be recorded for the complete series. A big collection of miscellaneous, actually, to wrap up uh, uh, the collection of all the orchestral symphonies. I've wrote nine, essentially, four numbered symphonies and five others that amount uh, to being symphonies. So it's... Uh, it's an honorable project, and we're thrilled that right after this birthday concert, we'll be doing an important recording project.
0: Absolutely. I want to just remind uh, folks if you're listening with us, this is WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven, the sister station to the New Haven Independent. I'm your host, Lucy Gullman. This is Arts Respond, and today my guest is Maestro Jim Sinclair. We're talking about Orchestra New England's momentous 50th birthday. And I also want to ask, you know, what like what's next for O.N.E. or maybe that's a secret.
1: Well, no, you know, this is the fiftieth uh, season, and in May we'll be at Patel Chapel at Yale's uh, Chapel on the uh, corner at the New Haven Green. There, uh, we'll be doing a a big concert with Beethoven, Leonore Overture number three and two new works that are written for our 50th birthday. One is our own spring bass player and personnel manager and audience favorite, Joseph Russo's Fifth Symphony. That'll be on the concert along with Jan Swafford's new work, uh, which uh, Jan is a very important person in the Ives world, uh, but he's also a composer. Uh, Chan was the author of the big and important biography of Charles Ives that uh, has stood this test of time since the early 90s. as the very best biography ever of Charles Ives.
0: And when you think about, you know, the symphonies next five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50, I don't know, i um, and, and sorry, orchestra, not symphony, um, what is the thought that is is the hope? You know, with organizations, they're always. I, I was going to say there. There's always a little bit of precarity, but fifty years is not precarious.
1: No, <laughs> and, and you gain a lot of friends in fifty years. Uh, we have people who were original board members who are dedicated to supporting the orchestra, and we expect. Uh, uh, from their promises uh, uh, that there will be a great financial situation for the orchestra for the future. So we'll be carrying on.
0: Which is wonderful. I also like to ask people, so this show grew out of the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. And I often ask artists, you know, in in taking care of other folks and in in shepherding this orchestra through, also what has been you know three years of change within fifty years of change, I'm sure. Um, how do you also take care of yourself, Maestro Sinclair? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I do a lot of work at home. I did not suffer from a, a thing during COVID. Uh, haven't had COVID. Don't even have people close to me who've had COVID. But um, uh, it, uh, since I work at home, I. Just plowed right through with yet more extra time to get things done. I, I would say that COVID fortuitively landed when I needed the most time to wrap up the complete editing of Charles Ives' music. Uh this is scholarly work and it has lots of end notes and you know footnotes, as it were. Uh and I engrave the music as I go. So I've created beautiful publication uh quality uh files for Charles I was just 150th. So I completed the project because COVID made it easier to do.
0: Do you ever I you know I also wonder about when someone's life's work is so um so deeply focused on one art and not that you only focus on one artist. I know that you've you've conducted a great many artists and musicians, but yeah. um I you know, I remember I had a college professor who had dedicated his entire career to Michelangelo. Mm. And I always wonder, like, do you ever get tired of Charles Ives? Are you ever like, Charles, we need to take a little break?
1: <laughs> no. Well, there's sometimes when I'm doing all these other things, right, on the concerts yeah. and such, where I don't get uh, to uh, work as uh, focused on Ives. Uh, but there's it's such a deep humanity in Charles' eyes that, that that's a charismatic thing. This is a friend you would never abandon. Uh, he was phenomenally generous, philanthropist to uh, uh, all under very quiet. Uh, the, you know, he, there may have been dozens of people who be supported in all of their work uh, in music. But they didn't know that they were not the only one. They they assumed that that this was just a one-on-one relationship, and that was it. Uh, Charles Ives Courts was an immensely uh, successful businessman. Uh, he reformed the insurance business in 19, you know, in the late first decade of the 1900s, uh, and when it was uh, a very suspect. Uh, See uh, the operation, which was a lots of flim flam artistry going. And Terrell Heights made it honest, and he made it uh, an inter- a national network. He invented uh, the national network for, uh, for businesses. Uh, he uh, created training for uh, agents to sell insurance. He created a- a estate planning. He uh, made the largest insurance agency in the United States in just a few years. He put in $13.5 billion of business in just 19 years of his running the company. He was uh, as inventive in business as he was in music. Uh, so he could be generous and, uh, and and really did a lot for the arts of uh, making possible recordings, making possible conducting careers, uh, piano, singing, other composers. He supported tons of people. Won a Pulitzer Prize in 1947. He gave all the money away.
0: And if there's, you know, because this is about Orchestra New England and, and this is about music, right? Ultimately, at the end of the day. If there is required listening or su- or suggested listening that you're thinking, you know, I, I really hope that someone listens to this episode and then goes and discovers the the work of Ives and, and of other composers, um, what would you recommend starting with? Hmm.
1: Well, it depends. If you love songs, just uh, going and sampling, uh, there are 184 songs. Uh, some of them would knock your socks off. Uh, uh, others would be some of the most beautiful and comfortable music you've ever heard. At least half of them are like that. Uh, so uh, and drop the needle, as we used to say, uh, on anything uh, in the way of the songs, if that's what you're into. There's beautiful string music. There's beautiful orchestral music. Uh, there's also quirky experimental music. Uh, Orchestra New England and I, for Noxos, just made last year an album that uh reviewers have said is the best uh collection of the panoply of Charles Ives' music. The whole panorama is there on one disc. There are 39 cuts because a lot of Ives' music is just uh two minutes long or shorter sometimes. Well, between 45 seconds and the longest thing on the album's five minutes, and uh, so listening to that. This is called Charles Ives sets for chamber orchestra. If you went to YouTube or any other service that's got recordings, you could put in Ives sets for chamber orchestra, and the album would come up uh, with all of those tracks to choose from. Not one of them's the same, so just. You know, put uh, hit skip and move to the next thing, and then you'll discover something you absolutely love.
0: I love that. And you know, my my last question as we wind down is: How can folks both find because uh, Orchestra New England is y'all are easy to find, but but also support Orchestra New England if mm-hmm. if they love music or maybe they're just discovering you and, and finding you for the first time, and they're really excited about the work that y'all do.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, of course, Orchestra New England as one word dot o r g org for org, orga, or organization uh, is the answer. I mean Orchestra New England.org is where you find our site, donation button, schedule, music to listen to, uh, pictures. The whole thing is there. It's it's a lovely sight. We welcome people to explore that and certainly to support the orchestra in its its 50th season. If not now, whenever, this is the very best time to uh, help a group that's put its half century in and intends to be here for millennia.
0: And how else are you celebrating the Sequi Sequi I'm
1: going to mm-hmm. mess with that. Thank you. Thank you. Charles I Ives. That. Yeah. Uh, well, it, there'll be a lot of activity here uh, in New Haven, uh, partly stirred up by Orchestra New England, but also at Yale University, uh, where be it the English department, the music department, the School of Management, all of them are interested in Charles Ives' 150th uh, because Ives was both. Uh, a writer, a businessman, and a musician, composer. So there are lots of angles to Charles Ives. There will be a lot of performances, especially in October. Uh, now, uh, that's 10 months away. Uh, in the turn of the year, I'll be celebrating on January 1st because it's the start of a 150th celebration of Charles Ives. And that's what my life's been about. So I will party on on that uh, premise.
0: I love that. I I love the, I have the mental image of you with like a huge cake and like sparklers uh, and also a baton somewhere in the mix. All of that.
1: Well, sparkler baton. (laughs) Right, (laughs) yeah. Overlit baton.
0: Yeah, it's, there's, we can do that. They did that in Harry Potter. So we can figure (laughs) out how to do that here, right? Um, Maestro Jim Sinclair, I want to thank you so much just for joining me on Arts Respond, NWNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. It's been so much fun to talk to you. Y'all, if you're listening, thank you for joining us here on Arts Respond. Go discover the music of Charles Ives. Go discover the music and the recordings of Orchestra New England and mark that March 9th date on your calendar. You've got what? It's like more than three months at this point. It's like 14 weeks. Yes, 15 right. weeks. I don't coming know. On. <laughs> it's coming, but it's far enough away that you can like mark it with a comfortable amount of time on your calendar.
1: Yeah. Don't miss it. It'll be quite the, quite the event. Uh, Lucy, you know that WNHH is an incredible resource, and everyone who's listening should multiply that by telling others to listen to this station.
0: Oh, that's very kind. Thank you so much, and thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate having had you here.
1: Thanks, Lucy.